Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Great, Dr. Hatfield. So let's take out our Bibles and open up to the book of Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, picking up where we left off last week. Uh, We are still in our series called Ethnic Blends as we are wrestling through what it means to become a truly multi-ethnic community in the city of Tuane. And let me just start. Let's have a very honest moment right at the start of the sermon. Whom of us, just recently, you looked in the mirror and you just had this moment of introspection and you felt despondent because there are these areas in your life and in your faith, maybe if you're a Christian this morning, that you just feel this is not changing. Why do I not see change in this area of my life? Why do I not see maturity coming to this area of my life? Anyone like that? I'll just be honest. I'll put up my hand on your behalf, but thank you. Thank you. I see that hand like a good evangelist. Maybe not the mirror, maybe you've been looking out your window to the country that we live in here in South Africa and you feel, man, I have got a lament in my heart because I do not see change. I don't see change coming to this country. Just this week, highlights from the news, two young people brutally and needlessly dying to violence. 68-year-old woman from Johannesburg nearly killed in an attempted kidnapping. The news saying, and uh, you know, they, they're opening up more of what the, the, the guys are calling literally, you know, a cesspool of corruption that's getting almost flapped open in front of our eyes in our national government. We're seeing guys taking justice into their own hands, these mobs. So many of these things happening, and we're asking, why do we not see change? How does change come to a person's heart? How does change come to a country like South Africa. And Paul is about to get super personal in his letter to this church that he planted. He's in, he's in a Roman prison, but he's writing to a young church like us saying, I want to encourage you with Jesus. But he gets personal in today's passage, and he's about to give us one of the most hard-hitting and life-giving declarations on sin, salvation, and true transformative change, where he's saying change, not that surface level that's just lasting for a while, but true change, change that goes to the very bone of your being. So how will we see the rise of a new South Africa, we ask? Let me give you just the one liner for today. We will see it happening one heart at a time, one habit at a time, and one household at a time. Yes, we need structural change. We need legislative change. We need political change. We need all these things to take place at a greater scale. But let me tell you where it starts. It starts with one heart, one habit, and one household truly changing. You with me? So let's read together. In your Bibles, Ephesians 4 verse 17, Paul says, Therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord. You should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became careless and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. But that is not how you came to know Christ. Assuming you heard about him and were taught by him, 
as the truth is in Jesus. To take off your former way of life, the old self that's corrupted by deceitful desires. To be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness, purity of truth. Therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And don't give the devil an opportunity. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he has to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit, for you are sealed by Him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, and slander be removed from you along with all malice. And be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. And walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. But sexual immorality, impurity, greed should not even be heard of among you as is proper for saints. Obscene and foolish talking, crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For know and recognize this, that every sexually immoral, impure, or greedy person who is an idolater, he's summing it up, does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Tasting what is pleasing to the Lord. So Paul comes out and he makes probably his strongest appeal in the whole letter. It's hard-hitting. I don't know if you feel that as we read through it. Paul is not pulling any punches under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, guys, there are basically two ways in which you can walk. The, The way you can live your life. And I think this metaphor of walking is so helpful because if I'm walking very slowly, almost moment to moment, you don't see a big change. But if you've ever gone hiking, if you've gone for a long walk, minute to minute, hour to hour, even day by day, big changes happen. The way I choose to walk in the moment might seem inconsequential between myself and someone else. But Paul says eventually you are walking somewhere. You are choosing to walk in a way. And he says there are only two ways to walk. There are only two ways for a person's life and for our country to walk. And the first one, he picks no bones. He says, I want to tell you, you should not walk like this. What does he say? Highlight this in verse 17. He says, you should no longer walk as what? As the Gentiles do. And he's not using this ethnically. He's using it morally. He's saying Gentiles as a catch-all term for those who do not yet know God. He's saying, Christian, if you're a Christian here this morning, you should no longer walk as someone who does not yet know God. Why? 
Is it because we're special, we great, we are morally superior, we are the chosen of God? No, he says, because walking without God is this thing called sin. And he says, walking in sin is what is destroying people's lives. Walking in sin is the basic fundamental issue that is destroying our country. Many things that come from it, many fruits of that, but the basic fundamental thing that needs to change in our country is a difference of walk. So what is walking in sin? Listen to what Paul says. He says, firstly, walking in sin is broken understanding. It's broken understanding. We put ourselves as human beings, as South Africans, at the center of our own universe, and we worship ourselves. I'm self-sustaining. I'm the captain of my soul. I choose what is right and wrong. I understand what life is. So Paul says there's a futility in their thoughts. They darkened in their understanding. There's an ignorance in them. This is literally the Mufasa moment to Simba. And he says to him, what, you have forgotten who you are. God has made you to live in relationship with him, to image him, to represent him in this world. But I turn from that and I turn to myself, seeing myself as the center of all things. There's a brokenness in my understanding. I do not understand who I am and who God is and what life is all about. But Paul says that goes somewhere. That, that brokenness in understanding He says, walking in sin, that becomes broken desire. It's not just a brokenness and understanding. It's a broken desire that you live in there. See, selfish worship becomes this ever-increasing perversion, this twisting of the legitimate desires that God has given us. God has blessed us with so many good desires for love, for friendship, for vocation, for connection, for sufficiency, for worship. He's given us all of these desires, but this broken understanding as to who I am and who God is leads to an ever greater perversion and twisting of those desires. So what does he say? He says, they gave themselves over to promiscuity, every kind of impurity with a desire for what? For more and more. It's never satisfied. He says, the old self is corrupted by deceitful desires. Sexual morality, impurity, greed. So let me give us an example. Paul says that they became callous. My heart becomes callous. That which at one stage was, it was a, it was a shot of, of joy into my arm or my heart. It no longer suffices. Because evermore those desires are twisted and perverted even further. So let me give us one example. Let's use sexuality. Our world is seeing this ever greater twisting from a broken understanding as to who we are and God is an ever greater twisting of sexuality. So we see this, for instance, the former editor of GQ, he moved into a new organization where they started doing sexual education in primary schools in America. And he said they would go, he's not a Christian, they would go into these schools working with kids between the ages of 8 and 11. And just to kind of suss out where this group of kids are, they would do this exercise they would call the alphabet of sexuality. And they would ask them, you need to give us, kids, a sexual term for each of the letters of the alphabet. And we'll see how far we get. And he says the shocking thing was two things always. Every single time they were able to complete the whole alphabet, 
And secondly, every single time, him as a middle-aged man would learn a new sexual term from one of these young kids. Why? Because in a world where hardcore pornography has become a norm through a little screen that I have in my hand, there's an ever deeper brokenness coming from an understanding as to who God has made me to be and who he is. We see this in this Stephen Kirshner, Professor Stephen Kirshner, State State University of New York. Just a couple of years ago, he wrote a serious, from a major academic, a serious proposal, a book saying that pedophilia should be recognized as a legitimate sexual expression and desire. That grown men and women should be able to engage young kids that are willing and inverted commas in sexual activity. That's where we are in this conversation. I remember having a conversation with a guy. He's a partner leader in a church in Johannesburg. But he was a male stripper for much of his life before Jesus radically reached into his life. And he said he would, on Saturday evenings, work at a nightclub in Johannesburg. That's in the middle of the CBD area. He said you would drive around there. There's no one there. And then suddenly you would have this warehouse and all the nicest cars in all of Johannesburg are parked around this place. And he said, you would find middle-aged men who've got kids at home and a wife at home coming to do the most debased sexual acts to one another in that space. We see this in Playboy magazine in 2015, no longer displaying naked women. Why? They said, and I quote, the product was no longer commercially viable. In an age where I have access to the most degrading sexual acts at a swipe of my finger, why would I want to pay to see someone naked when there is broken understanding as to who we are and who God is, what we've been made for? It leads to a broken desire, Paul says. And lastly, he says, walking in sin, what is eating away at our country is broken relationships. It's broken relationship. We have been made to find our true satisfaction and joy and wholeness in our Father. But that relationship has been wrenched apart. So Paul says they darken in their understanding and they are excluded from the life of God. And so he says every sexually immoral or or impure or greedy person, he says all of that is just the fruit of what? Of being an idolater. And he says, then I do not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. See, we live in our world, reaching into all these different things around us. I reach into uh, a, a space of satisfaction in my work or friendship or sexuality. Or I reach into into family or good health. I reach into degrees and success and esteem. And none of those things truly bring me satisfaction. They don't bring me true joy. They don't bring me this deep sense of identity. Why? Because I am a lost child that do not know my father. So the other day we were speaking in our community group about it, the Paris Hilton documentary that she self-produced and put onto YouTube the other day. There's one moment where she's speaking to her sister, and she's just trying to, she's fighting back the tears. And her sister asks her, are you happy? And she says, I, I just have to make more money. I just, if I can just get to a billion dollars, I know I will be happy. And her sister asks her point blank, are you happy? She's made hundreds of millions already, and she's fighting back the tears. And as her voice just cracks, she says, sometimes. 
We reach into these things hoping that we will be fulfilled, but it never comes. Idolatry, such an old word, archaic word, and we see people bowing before wooden statues. But Paul says idolatry, making an idol out of something, is when I take any good thing in God's creation and I make it an ultimate thing. When I take sexuality or adventure or friendship or marriage or esteem or my vocation and I make it such an ultimate thing in my life that when I have that thing, I feel strong, I feel secure. And when I lose that thing, my world falls apart and life almost hardly feels like living. Paul says this, walking in sin is what is buckling the country of South Africa, every heart and habit and household, at its very core, it's the same thing. The spiritual lostness that gives birth to social pain and systemic brokenness. But there's an invitation, Paul says. There's an invitation. He says, don't walk like this, but I want to invite you. There's a second way to walk. And what does he say? I'm calling you. 5 verse 8, walk as what? As children of light. Walk as children, identity of light. Why? For the fruit of light consists of goodness, of righteousness, and of truth. So we see two massively important things. Paul is saying that true transformation, true change is connected to what? Your identity. It's connected to your identity. And identity change brings the fruit of a life that changes. The fruit of identity change is a life that changes. Or as Alan Platt, the founder of Doxiday, would always say, identity determines activity. Identity is what determines our activity. And we say, no, we have it other way around. We're going to change people's activity. We're going to change them through legislation. We're going to change them through the fear of punishment. We're going to change them through rules. We're going to change them through, through bringing the, you know, the, the playing field even closer. We will change the activities of people's lives, and then people will change. But Paul says that will never work. That will bring surface-level change. It will bring temporary change. It will bring just a small manner of change. If you want to truly change the question is asked, how do you find lifelong, true, transformative change? And Paul says it's in this. It's when an identity that's formed, that's, that is redefined by broken understanding and broken desire and broken relationship is redefined by Jesus. That's where change comes. When an identity that's formed by brokenness is redefined through faith in the finished work of Jesus, true change comes. Why? Because he comes to redefine my understanding. He comes to redefine my desires. He comes to redefine relationship with God. So what does that look like? Paul says, if you want to see continual and permanent and lifelong change, you need to have an identity formed around the first thing. He says, an identity redefined by what? The love and the forgiveness of God in Jesus. The very core of my identity is anchored in the love and the forgiveness of God in Jesus. Paul says, walk in love. Why? Because you have to know 
Because Christ loved us. And he gave himself for us. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving one another. You could just leave it there. Let's just be moral. Just do it. No, he says, why? Because God forgave you. When my life becomes gripped to its very core by the fact that God stepped into the brokenness of my life, into my broken understanding and broken desires and broken relationship, and he gave himself in love so that I could be forgiven, washed clean, renewed, recreated, that goes to the very core of who I am. When I know that he gave his life so that I may live. I still can't think of a better example for those who were at Alpha at the beginning of last year when we started this whole thing. I still think of that example. 1941, these concentration camps at Auschwitz. And 10 prisoners escape. And the Gestapo police are so angry as an act of retribution, they say they're going to choose 10 random prisoners and starve them to death to make an example of them. And the ninth person chosen at random is a guy called Francis Gajnitschkev. And as they call out his name, he, he starts crying and he cries out and he says, I'm never going to see my wife or my kids ever again. And the next thing that happens is almost stranger than fiction because a man steps out. He's not been called. He steps out. 47-year-old Maximilian Colby is his name. He's a Christian priest. And he says, I want to die in the place of that man. I want to die in his place. And he does. And 41 years later, 10th of October, 1982, in St. Peter's Square in Rome, 150,000 people gather. Can you imagine that? To celebrate the life of Maximilian Colby, who gave his life for another. And you know who's in the crowd that day celebrating with them? Francis Gajnitschkev. And the Pope, when he spoke about the sacrifice, he said this, He said of Maximilian Colby, it was a victory like that of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because he died so that someone else could live. Has that become the defining feature of my identity? That yes, I was infinitely lost apart from Jesus, but I am infinitely loved and forgiven in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Nothing could be more true about me. Paul secondly says it's an identity not just redefined by that love and forgiveness, but secondly by the truth, the truth that you are in Jesus God's beloved child, that you are God's beloved child child. Ephesians 5.1, underline this one. He says, be imitators of God. Why? Because you have to. No, he says, as dearly loved children. As dearly loved children. He says in verse 8, walk what as children of light. Guys, when did you decide to be conceived and born? I hope none of us had anything to do with that. That's not our decision. Life is given by God. But he says, now walk as my child. You know, the other evening I come home and Abby, our eldest, she is crying. I hear her like all the way from my garage, crying, crying, crying. And I get into her room and she's sitting in the corner and she's bawling. Now I'm all like up here. I've got like zero emotional gifting. So I try and reason it out with her. What's going on and why? And let's think about, 
And I'm getting nowhere, of course. But my wife is incredibly gifted as a mother. So I walked to her and I said, I, I can't figure out what's going on. And she says, you know what you should do? Go and hold her. Go and hold her. And I go back to the room and I pick up my little eight-year-old and I sit on the bed and I hold her. And then she started crying. And she cried and she cried and she cried and she cried until it was all out. And then she went to fetch a Where's Wally book. And we just sat there looking for that Wally together as father and daughter in just an intimate moment. Friends, do we realize if you take away all the degrees and the money and the cars and the accomplishments and the facade and I'm accomplished. If you take all of that away, we are those kids sitting in that corner crying. Saying, I don't have it together, God. But when I see that the core of my identity is that every bit of shame that I could ever experience is smashed against the rocks of my father's heart, that's who I am. That I have a father who is relentless in his pursuit of me. That's who I am. And though I walk as a child, as a beloved child. And Paul says thirdly, he says, you need an identity, an identity that replaces broken understanding, broken desires, broken relationship. Thirdly, with an identity redefined by the reality, it's a reality, that in Jesus you are a new creation. Not you will be, not you might become, not if you try hard enough, that you are a new creation. Chapter 5, verse 8, underline this. He says, you were once, past tense, darkness, but now you are. But now you are. Do you hear that? Yes, this was true, but in Jesus now, this is the truth into eternity. You are light in the Lord. He says, don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. Why? Because you were, past tense, sealed by him on the day of your salvation for the day of his return. Jesus did a finished work on the cross, and I cannot add to it or subtract from it when I put my full hope and faith and trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. I have been made a new creature in Christ. And now through God's Spirit, I'm only going to, as I trust and walk with Him, become more of who I already am. What will bring change to this country it's when individuals, homes, habits, and hearts are challenged in their addiction. When they are challenged in their broken understanding and their broken living and their broken desires and their broken relationship. And they find a redefinition in who Jesus is. Because it's not trying to manage their activity. It goes to change the very identity of who they are. And maybe we could just ask, why is that more effective? Why is identity change so much more powerful than activity change? Why? Well, firstly, because it motivates so much more differently. Can you think about that for a moment? If I'm saying you have to do this, be a good person, be a moral person, turn over a new leaf in life, become religious, you know, do good things for your fellow man. What does Paul say here? He says, verse 27, don't give the devil an opportunity. You could have stopped it there. Don't do it. But what does he say? He says, don't give the devil an opportunity. Why? Because I don't want to grieve the one that I love. 
I don't want to. My desires have changed. It's not just that I can't do this. I don't want to do that because I now want, I want to live a life that doesn't grieve the one that I love. Ladies, do you want to marry a man who says, okay, I promise I won't cheat on you, but just because you asked. Or say, because I want to be with you. Paul says, testing what? What is pleasing to the Lord. I live in a way because God is pleased with me in Christ, and therefore I want to live a life that's pleasing to Him. It motivates so differently, but secondly, it goes so much deeper. Identity change, different from activity change. Let's just manage some of the sin in your life. Just stop smoking, stop sleeping around, stop doing this, you know, start paying your taxes. We can manage all of that. We can move all the deck chairs on the boat around. It would not matter a thing if your identity doesn't change, if the core of your being doesn't change. So listen to what Paul says. He says what? The fruit of light, the fruit of light is what? Goodness, righteousness, and truth. If I am going to look at the fruit of my life and try and address it, let's spray and paint some of the fruit. Let's add some plastic fruit to the tree that's my life. He says, no, you need to go to the root of the issue. You need to go to the root. So listen to how Paul puts it. He says, don't lie. Don't lie. Why? Because I said so. No. He says, because I just want to not see you not being someone who lies. I want to see you becoming someone, he says, who speaks truth to others and builds them up. Do you see that? I just don't want you to do something, you know, stop doing this. I want to see you becoming someone who used to lie, but now you speak truth to other hearts. He says, don't steal. Don't do that. Why? Because I said so. That's why. He says, no, I don't want you to steal because I want to see you becoming someone who works hard with their own hands so that you can be generous to those around you. Not just stopping an activity, but transforming in who you are. He says, don't speak foul language. I don't want you to have foul language in your heart. Why? Because it sucks to do that. You need to be a good Christian Sunday person. No, he says, I don't want foul language in your heart because I want to see you becoming someone who builds up others with your gracious words. I used to be someone who spit poison on a daily basis, but now I've become in Jesus someone who builds people up in grace. I want to see deep to the bone change in your life. So let me just finish off and just make it very personal. Maybe then just the question for us. This is, this is a hard-hitting passage. Are you with me? This is not like, it's just not just a whole bunch of smiles and rainbows today, but that's good, friends. Sometimes that's exactly what I need. So maybe just the question that you have today is, then why? Why do I not see change in this part of my life? Why do I not see this change? And Paul gives you one or two options. He says, maybe one reason could be is because the habits of your life are not reinforcing your new identity. The habits of your life are not reinforcing your new identity as a Christian. So he says, verse 23, what? Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's a continual thing. You need to be renewed every day in the spirit of your mind. 
What are the habits of my life that truly form me? If the greatest habit forming and influence in my life is literally just the series that I watch and the friends I hang out with and my, my colleagues and the secular values of the city, then guess what? You will remain an immature baby-like Christian. You'll be a 55-year-old man, but with the spirituality of a five-year-old. And Jesus says, that's not what I want. I want to see you mature in every area of your life. So I need to, on a weekly basis, not so that I would have identity, but from a place of identity, I'm going to be in the Word of God. I'm going to commune with the Spirit of God, and I'm going to between the people of God. Those are the things that reinforce, that strengthen, that speak into my identity. If I'm not doing that three, four, five times a week, I'm going to see the world challenging that identity in my life. Maybe you're not seeing change because the actual habits of your Christian faith are leaving God with the very last little morsels that you can give him. But Paul says maybe one other option is that I'm not courageously putting on my new identity in some of the areas of my life. I'm not practically courageously putting on this new identity. He says there in verse 22, take off. He makes it so practical. Take off your former life. Take it off. Take off your former life and put on the new self. Put on the new self. Friends, there are some areas in our lives that we have become so mature as some of us as Christians that we are no longer just doing the simple thing of taking it off. I've got a friend, one of my colleagues from Bloom. He, just after he got saved, he canceled his Virgin Active subscription at the gym. You know why? Because he said just from his own past and the immaturity that he was battling with at that stage, he can't just every day just ogle all these goals in the gym. He can't do it. So what? I'm just taking that thing out of my life. I'm not going to be so super spiritual that I can't literally apply the identity that God has given me to my life. Can I ask us, what are some of the practical things? It's not super spiritual. Just saying, God, I need to just take this off. And I'm going to put on who you have made me to be. Maybe there's a relationship. Maybe there is a conversation to be had. Maybe there is something to literally cut clean out of your week. To say, God, why? Am I doing it for identity? No. I'm doing it from identity. And just ending off, maybe a third option. Why do I not see change? Because Paul says, you don't actually know Jesus yet. You don't actually know Jesus yet. You haven't come to that place. Paul says, Ephesians 4.20, this is not how you came to know Jesus Christ. Yes, you heard about him, but you were taught by him. He says, the truth is in Jesus And maybe some of us, you have been in church for many months, many years, and you've heard so much about Jesus, but you don't know Jesus. You're trying to move all the deck chairs of your boat around, but I haven't had that experience of having my identity fundamentally changed in Christ. And so Paul says, you do not have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. But the invitation to Jesus is come and lay down your broken understanding. Come and lay down 
your broken desires. Come and lay down your broken relationship and allow me to pick you up. Allow me to be the champion that carries you all the way home. Allow me, Maximilian Colby, to step into your brokenness and death and say, I will die for him. I will die for her so that you may live. If that's where you are today, I just want to pray with you. I can, I can do nothing. But there was a moment in my life where someone had to say, Joe, I want to pray with you that Jesus would transform you. And my life has never, ever been the same again. So I want to do that for you this morning. If that's where you are, you just say, I do not want to manage sin. I want to have new life. Let's pray together. Jesus, I just pray. I pray for Christians who feel that they've been fighting so hard and seeing no change. I pray today, God, that you would, through your spirit, come and minister deeply to their identity as loved and forgiven, as children of the Father, as new creation. God, may they find such a strength to take off the old life and to put on the new. God, I pray today for any person sitting here who says, I do not know Jesus. I've heard about him. I know about him, but I don't know him. God, you say it's not fancy. We can cry out to you in faith. You are faithful. And I pray that in this moment, the Holy Spirit would just come and minister to them. Point them to an empty cross and an empty grave. And you, God, bring new life. You bring wholeness where there was brokenness. You bring healing where death reigned. We pray that in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen, amen.